Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redemption Church. The following sermon is by pastoral resident Ian Mulraney. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Do you not know brothers and sisters For I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she is called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from that law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to one another, to him who was raised from the dead in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now, By dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Thanks, Karen. All right. Hi, everybody. How are you doing this week? Hi. All right. (laughs) Um, We got a fun passage tonight, so I think we should dive in. We're in part two of our, uh, as we're going through Romans, Paul's going to ask three rhetorical questions that he then answers, all of which the answer is uh, basically, heck no. So last week, uh, the first question was at the beginning of chapter six, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace can increase? And Paul said, heck no. Uh, we're actually supposed to, a paradox And if we want to really live, we have to die to ourselves. And so tonight's question is, shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? If we are saved not by our works, not by obeying uh, the rule book, but we're saved by grace, 
that God paid by sending Jesus to the cross, are we then allowed to do whatever we want? And Paul answers again, uh, by no means, heck no. And again, a paradox that he uses. The paradox this time is if you want to actually be free, you need to be a slave. You're going to be a slave. And so I just want to uh, start by getting the elephant in the room addressed because we are in a culture that is post-slavery, at least in the public sphere, it's not legal in our world. And in America in particular, the word slavery has a lot of racial and historical baggage that comes with it, which makes it a bit challenging to have a sermon that you preach that says, Paul wants you to be a slave of Christ. Um, the things I want you to be familiar with are in the Roman Empire, slavery was legal. It was accepted. It was not racialized like it was in America where the color of your skin determined whether you were a slave or not. Uh, there were certain, when Rome would conquer new territories, they would often take slaves from those places. But many times if you were struggling financially, sometimes people at normal citizens would enslave themselves to others to help pay off debts. It could be a period of five years, 10 years, things like that. Um, so it was different. The other thing to keep in mind is that I don't want to say slavery was not as bad, but it depended on where you were a slave and who was your master. If you were enslaved and you were sent to work in the silver mines, for instance, uh, your life was probably not very fun. You would have brutal work conditions digging, uh, using manual labor to dig out these rocks, cart the silver away. Your life expectancy wouldn't be that high because accidents happen, cave-ins, or you just died of exhaustion. However, sometimes you might serve in Caesar's palace or in another aristocratic home. If that was the case, then your day-to-day -day life might look like cleaning up the house, preparing meals, um, you might be given money to go run errands in the marketplace for your master. Uh, and there came a relationship with the master that wasn't necessarily there in the silver mines, where sometimes slaves were even left property and inheritance, were granted their freedom, were given allowances, and were treated as a, another member of the household. And so that's part of the question we're looking at tonight is, uh, Paul is going to save, or say that we, human, humanity, we're not actually free to our own devices. You're going to be serving one master or another. Is it going to be the master of sin, which is the harsh silver mine-like conditions? Or are you going to be serving the master of Christ, who is the good master, who is the king who rules over all, who you can have relationship with? If you remember at the beginning of chapter one, Paul actually introduces himself as Paul, a slave of Christ. So it's an identity he takes for himself. And if this just really is jarring and you can't wrap your mind around it, I just ask that you pray for patience to listen tonight. And in a few weeks when we get to chapter eight, Paul is actually going to say, but we don't have the spirit of slavery 
but we are adopted children who get to cry out, Abba, Father, as part of the family of God. So even Paul is going to move beyond this analogy. All right, a little bit of a long introduction, but I think it needed to be just addressed so we can all be on the same page. Okay, so yeah, so um, shall we sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? It's actually a poignant question to think about because I think, I don't know, I've at least thought of this myself before. Like if Jesus is going to forgive me and has forgiven me for anything wrong I can do, doesn't that mean that anything's on the table? Like I can just kind of sin now, ask forgiveness later, and I'll be fine. I'll still be saved. I'll still be his child. I'll still be going to heaven. Have we thought this before? Doesn't it seem kind of logical if you believe you can't lose your salvation? And the answer actually is not that, you know, no, don't sin because you will lose your salvation. It's no, don't sin because you are not a slave of sin anymore. You're a slave of Christ. I want us to think about it like this. If you're in a relationship with somebody else, so like when I got married, I didn't get to say, oh good, I'm married. Now I can do whatever I want to. Or if you have a baby, any parents out there, when your child's born, it's, I have a new relationship I have a new baby. Now I get to do whatever I want. It's actually the opposite, right? Sometimes the, our favorite relationships are the ones that put the most limitations on us. Did you ever think about that? The people that we love and care for the most are actually the ones that kind of constrict our freedom. You know, Being married to Amanda, I'm not obligated to massage her feet every night, but she really appreciates when I do. And so I've had my hands around those grubby, smelly toes more times than I care to admit. Don't tell her I said that. She's down with the kids. <laughs> Thanks. I don't have to do that, but I'm in a new relationship with her. And so I give up some of my personal freedom to do something to love her. If we are saved by Christ, if we are adopted into his family, we actually do have freedom, but don't we wanna do the things that he asks of us? The law is still from God to show us how to live and what is right and wrong. And even though it's not the thing that gets us to God, it still is good and he still appreciates when we follow it because it helps us to live in harmony with each other and with him. It's not the thing that determines whether he loves you or not, but it's still a good thing. So we don't have this free permission to do whatever the heck we want. And more than that, Paul goes on to say, um, 
When you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you're slaves of the one you obey. Slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Paul is actually making the argument that sometimes the things that we think are freedom, like, oh, I can do whatever I want. I can sleep around or I can hoard all this money or, you know, I'm fine. Paul actually says those are the things that really chain you up in life. I'm sure we all have our own idols that have promised us freedom. Like, oh, if I just have this or if I just do that, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be free. Then I don't have to worry anymore. And then you get it and it's still not enough. What is that for you? What's something that has promised you freedom and when you got it, asked for more? I want us to think about this because if you could go to the next slide, Marie, thanks. Because this is where Paul goes next. Um, He implores us to be slaves to righteousness. In chapter one, he talks about the righteousness of God. He wants us to be obeying the things that are of God, obeying Christ's teachings. And he makes this argument in verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. You actually didn't need to obey God because you were in sin. But what benefit did you reap of that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. I want you to think about what that thing was that promised you freedom, but keeps you enslaved. I'm going to use the example of alcohol up here. We talked a few weeks ago, I said that sin is actually us trying to be gods of our own life. We are living in sin when we think we are responsible for our soul happiness, our soul freedom, our soul fulfillment, our soul way of escaping anxiety, that we have to do it all. And when we do it, if we're in charge of that, we have to find ways to cope and to help us when we're stressed and relieved. And so that's why some people turn to alcohol, not just moderate drinking, but it becomes a crutch. And so if you begin becoming an alcoholic, you're going to wake up places that are not your bed, either by yourself outside of a house or with other people that you may or may not know. Your clothes might be a little bit messier the next day and you're going to begin falling into things that you're not really proud to tell other people about. What did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? And if you follow in this course, if you don't get off it, it will result in death. And death has lots of meanings. Death is just simply an end. 
an end to something. It could be physical death. We know this health teaches us that alcohol can destroy your liver um, and give you other uh, physical problems. Some people can literally drink themselves to death. It could also be spiritual death. You're numbing yourself to hearing Christ's call on your life, imploring you to turn to him. It could be relational death. I know a number of my friends who don't have relationships with um, one of their parents because their parent was just so absorbed in alcohol that they have they don't have any relationship. They have a mixture of hatred and just confusion at why their parent left and pursued a life of binging. There's relational death that comes. Death can come in many forms. And it's inescapable. This is the famous verse of this passage, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. If you're going to put the work in, you're going to get paid, paid in full for it. You reap what you sow. Unless you have a gift which usurps it, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So slavery to sin can result in us falling away and falling into um, shame and relational and emotional and spiritual death. But Christ offers us another way. If we're living for Christ, we are putting him on the throne and we're remembering that he is God, not us, that he is the one who is taking care of us, that we're not responsible for our own happiness, success, freedom, but happiness, success, freedom is found in him. And this is good news. It means you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to worry. Here, Ian, because I need this message too. You are free in Christ. And if you're free in Christ, you can begin to live a life that is opposite of how you were living. The benefit you reap leads to holiness. The deeds you're going to do are the deeds that are set apart actions of God. You're going to be generous. You're going to be kind. You're going to be um, forgiving of people who hurt you because you know that you are part of God's family and he loves you. And the result is eternal life. Eternal life isn't just heaven when we die. If it's really eternal, it begins now. It means that we start living as members of the kingdom of God, that our citizenship has already started. And so we're going to take on the culture of the kingdom. We're going to look like the king who didn't put himself above others, but was, oh, he told us to be servants or slaves. The son of man <laughs> came not to, uh, came as a servant. And so I want to, us to think about this for a second, but I have a story that exemplifies this kind of life that I'm talking about, about two choices. And it's, I can get caught up in storytelling, so it's going wrong, long, just kind of someone give me a signal. But next slide. Who here knows about who Louis Zamperini is? Few of us. Louis Zamperini, uh, a movie was made about his life a few years ago, actually a couple movies, but the most famous of which was Unbroken, directed by Angelina Jolie. Um, 
And the reason that a movie was made about him is because this dude is one of the wildest life stories I've ever heard. Like, I don't, if you tried to make up what this guy actually did, people would say, uh, that's too unbelievable. He's a Harry Sue. He's just too good at everything. Um, he was an Olympic runner. I'm pretty sure he got a silver medal for uh, whatever. I don't know Olympic running sports, but he ran and he won some medals. And so he was a American hero because of that uh, in the 30s. Then World War II started. And so he signed up to fight for this country and he got sent over to the Pacific Theater. When he was on a mission looking for a lost aircraft, the plane he was on uh, basically just stopped working, crashed in the Pacific Ocean. Everybody on it died except for him and two other men, uh, one of whom died shortly later. So it was just him and one other guy. They stayed alive by floating on wreckage for 40 some days, okay? 40 days, they were, oh, 47 days, I have it up there. Lost at sea, uh, they had to like catch seagulls and stuff to survive. Um, there were sharks that were following them. Like, it was crazy. And then he finally got rescued, him and this other guy, by Japanese soldiers who took him aboard and locked him up in one of the Japanese prison camps they had. Now, a lot of people in the prison camp recognized him because he was an Olympic athlete. And so the soldiers who were keeping him imprisoned realized that he was a celebrity, he had a lot of influence. So they made an example of him. Every day he was taken out and purposefully beaten and spit upon and treated harsher than the other prisoners. So that way nobody else stepped out of line. He was used as an example. And all that time he would come, he wouldn't say a word, he would just take the punishment that he was being given. Um, and his whole thing was he didn't want them to see him break or crack. So he never gave them satisfaction of like, oh, ow. Uh, he would try and hold it in no matter how harsh they treated him. The war ended, the prisoners were free, and he went home unbroken. He had never succumbed to the, he didn't die in the war, he didn't die in the camp, he didn't give his captors the satisfaction of breaking him. He had survived being lost at sea. That's a pretty good story, right? That's a good Hollywood movie. The ironic thing is that's where the movie ends, but that's where Louis Zamperini would say he was probably the most broken he'd ever been. He came home from the war, surviving at sea, surviving a prison camp. Nobody could relate to his experience. His wife couldn't, and he started getting angry at her. His kids couldn't. He didn't have any friends to talk to. On top of this, when he went to bed at night, he started being hounded by nightmares. And in these nightmares, he imagined himself going back to the prison camp and murdering with his own bare hands every single one of the guards who was there, especially 
the main prison guard. These dreams didn't bring him comfort of these dreams of vengeance. They terrified him. He would wake up in the middle of the night with shudders and he couldn't go back to sleep. So like we all do, like I said, he needed help to go to sleep. So he started turning to alcohol. It started with one drink a night, then two drinks a night. And before you knew it, he couldn't go without it in his system. He became even worse to his wife. His marriage was falling apart. Uh, his job prospects weren't great. You see, here's the kind of funny thing. Louis Zamperini had survived a literal form of physical slavery, but he was still spiritually enslaved. So his wife, on the advice of a friend, went to um, a Billy Graham crusade. Anyone hear of him? And his wife became a Christian listening to Billy Graham. So she told Louis, I'm ready to leave you, but if you want to make this work, I need you to go to hear Billy Graham the next time he's in town. So he decided he would go. And while he was there, he became so convicted and overwhelmed, all the feelings of shame and loss and the harsh reality of life that had affected him for the past you know, decade at that point, just welled up in him and he kneeled down on the ground and proclaimed that Christ was Lord of his life. And when he did that, he made a commitment he went home and he prayed. And as he was praying, he thought of every single one of his captors and imagined himself saying to them, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. And when he did that, the dream stopped. And when the dream stopped, he could put the bottle down. And when the bottle went down, he became filled with holy imagination of what he could do with the rest of the time he had left. Here's the paradox. Being a slave to Christ, saying, I'm not going to be responsible for trying to cope with this anymore. I'm giving it to Christ. Declaring Christ Lord actually gave Louis freedom from the things which had been tormenting him. And so not just freedom from sin, but freedom to God. And so with that holy imagination, he thought of what could he do next? He had lived and worked in a lot of urban cities and he was seeing how a lot of kids were um, not being raised in good environments, not getting education. So he founded a number of centers helping uh, urban youth and what I think is even more incredible than that, he became convicted that he should actually meet with his captors who had imprisoned him. So he one by one looked up, did research and found out who they were, the ones that were still living 
and he would fly out to meet them in person, share a meal with them, and tell them what he had prayed those years ago, I forgive you. The Japanese soldiers were so touched. <laughs> he became a celebrity in Japan and was invited back. I think it was the 96 Tokyo Olympics. He was invited back as a guest of honor to run the torch because he was an Olympic runner for the Tokyo Olympics. And not only that, people in the Japanese government asked him, who haven't you met with yet to say you forgive them? And he said, just the main prison guard. So what the Japanese government did was they looked up the address and gave it to him. So while he was in Tokyo for the Olympics, he went to the main guard's house to offer to have a meal with him and say, I forgive you. And he knocked and he knocked. And finally, someone from inside the house came out and said, he doesn't want to see you. So Louis went away. You see, the guard had been a slave of sin, just like Louis, but he was too overwhelmed with shame. He couldn't face the man whose life he had made hell on earth. It would be too dishonorous to have to do that. And so uh, Billy Graham Library actually made a short documentary about Louis Zamperini called Captured by Grace. Uh, it's 30 minutes, but I just think it's such an appropriate title for this passage of being like, you know, not your own, being not necessarily free, but being a slave to grace, to righteousness, to Christ. Because it's when we give up of ourselves and trust in God that we actually get to figure out who we really meant were meant to be. So I think that's an incredible story. I hope you guys did too. I wanted to talk a little though, just before we end about what this passage means to me, because I wish my life was like Louis Zemperini's and that uh, the minute I became a Christian, I could put all things behind me that were sinful. Um, but I think like many of you might have been, I was raised in the church. I knew about Jesus before I could talk. So there, I, I can point to a few times, but there's not like necessarily one moment where this was my conversion experience where I declared Jesus as Lord. It just was always part of my family culture and who I was. And so knowing Jesus from elementary school, going through middle school, high school, up through adulthood, there's lots of times where I've still been slave to sin. And I think that's where this last part is about seven through six. Um, don't you know, brothers and sisters, now Paul is speaking to those who know the law. The law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives. And the example he gives is that if you're, if a married woman ends up having sexual relations with another man while her husband's alive, it's adultery. But if her husband is dead, it's fine. It's marriage. You can get married to someone else. The husband is the law. Like 
he's telling us we should still honor and obey Christ and the law, but if that's the thing that is keeping you from experiencing grace, is keeping you, when you look at how you live and you feel shame, know that Christ has killed the law, that we're married to him now. And so the thing I want all of us to have tonight is freedom. Freedom not to do whatever you want, but freedom to, from the things which bind you, that promise you, you know, eternal happiness, but actually keep you enslaved and freedom to that imaginative, holy, eternal life above that comes with knowing Christ. We have some reflection and we're just going to take a couple minutes to think about that and just come to God in prayer about this week. What does it look like? You know, how does sin still enslave you now? The things that promise you happiness, but don't pay off in the end. And what would it take to be freed from that sin? What would it take to escape the shame that it brings? I think for me, that's one of the things that has helped the most is um, even though I find myself caught in patterns of sin, I've learned that I don't have to be ashamed of them. And I can talk about it freely with other people. That Christ rescues us out of that and gives us grace so that we can try again. And the last thing is, if you are a slave of Christ, what does that what freedom does that bring? What creative ways can you live to by grace and to preach the gospel this week? You know, Louis Zamperini forgave his oppressors. He started uh, centers to help kids in the city. What do you have? What are your resources? What can you do this week? And what are your dreams for long-term? Think about those things. And thank you guys for your time. To find out more about Redemption Church, visit redemptionbristol.org.